Psalm 46 where it says, The Lord is our refuge and strength. He's a strong tower. And if you look at verse 3, I says, I, I think is where it says that he causes the mountains to quake. And what that is a reference to, if you don't know it, is a volcano erupting. And if you have not heard, last Wednesday, this past Wednesday, we were to leave to fly home at midnight, fly all night long, uh, and arrive, uh, no, we were supposed to leave Tuesday night at midnight, fly all night long, and arrive Wednesday morning at about 6 o'clock in the morning uh, at the Houston airport. And as we were sitting in the airport, um, they began to cancel flights all around, not ours, but a lot of the other flights were being canceled, and I started to get nervous, and sure enough, uh, the United Airlines people came on and said, uh, your flight has been canceled. And uh, then they announced why it had been canceled. The reason it had been canceled is because a volcano had erupted in northeast Ecuador and was uh, spewing ash into the sky, and planes don't do well flying through volcanic ash. And so the plane that was on its way to Quito to pick us up and drop people off was diverted to Panama City, Panama, and it stayed there for 24 hours, and we uh, got to stay in a very, uh, just almost squalor of a place. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Everybody knows that went, that I'm not telling the truth. They put us up in a resort uh, for 24 hours, and uh, most everybody that was there said, can we just stay here for the rest of our lives? And I said, no, your families want you home. So uh, anyhow, we loaded up and came home. I'll tell you more about that later. In fact, next Sunday night, uh, I'll just give you the information. Now, next Sunday night, we will have a share time. Uh, when the people from First Baptist Knack are going to come to our church, we went there last year. Uh, so this year, we're going to host them. And I hope that you will make all uh, efforts to be here, to hear our people and First Baptist Knack people share with you what the Lord did with us uh, in Ecuador and, and how he worked uh, with us and through us and how he changed. Just real briefly, let me tell you um, that this past trip was a culmination of nine years of us planting and doing and serving. And I think the Lord's glory showed this year uh, in ways that has, he has never shown before. For instance, this year we had more salvations uh, then in any of the previous years, we had uh, around 25 people come to know the Lord while we were there this past week, which is an incredible thing that we're very thankful for. I will show you, I think it was Kathy. Is Kathy Summers in here? Where's Kathy? Where are you there? Wasn't it you that talked to the, and your translator that talked to the 80-year-old lady? Is that, am I right or wrong? You had the little girl? The... Uh, I, I do know that one of the first people that came to salvation uh, was an 80-year-old lady uh, that had never heard the gospel. And uh, we, had, we were very fortunate not only to have wonderful translators this year, but we also had an Ecuadorian doctor uh, that uh, was seeing people and she was sharing the gospel. And I think this Ecuadorian doctor led this 80-year-old lady to the Lord. Uh, we'll hear more about it next week. But that was one of the first people that came to the Lord, an 80-year-old lady. At the end, the very end of the week, when we had finished all our medical work and everything, Laura, uh, my wife, uh, we had gotten to know the uh, uh, restaurant where we ate breakfast in, uh, connected to the hotel. The, the owner of that restaurant is the son of the owner of the hotel, and he and his wife uh, had just taken over and, and remodeled the restaurant and were managing the restaurant. And so we began to converse with them all week long and they began to see us always preparing to go out and serve their people. And uh, we were just trying to be kind to them all week long. And so this young lady, probably in her uh, 20s, maybe early 30s, uh, with a child, uh, the wife of the restaurant owner, um, had seen us all week long, and we ate dinner. The only time we ate dinner at the restaurant in the hotel was the last night when we were uh, sharing our testimonies, sharing what the Lord had done, sharing good things that God had done with us. Um, they were there the whole time, kind of in and out, and she speaks broken English. 
uh, but she was able to kind of sense what the Lord was doing, and there's no doubt that the Holy Spirit was present in that place. And as we finish that meeting and as we begin to pack up to prepare uh, our medicines to stay and for us to leave, um, we were just uh, around the room. We were hugging our translators, loving on them, all that kind of stuff. She was just observant. I just kept watching her, and she just kept watching us. And uh, after that all started to calm down and people started to disperse a little bit, Laura saw, and I, I know the Lord spoke to Laura through the power of the Holy Spirit and said, will you just visit with her? And Laura was obedient. And Laura went over and just started talking to her. And she started talking to Laura. And basically they, the conversation went from, I don't understand what's going on with you people. I don't know why you come here why you serve, what do you have that, that I don't have? And she asked Laura, she said, what religion are you? And Laura said, well, I'm Baptist, but that's not important. What religion I am is I believe in Jesus Christ. And um, she said, well, I'm Catholic. And Laura said, that's fine, but what's important is that you need to know Jesus Christ. And she turned to Laura and said, I want to know your Jesus. And Laura said, let me get a translator. And she grabbed a translator and brought that translator over. And she turned and looked at me and said, Bobby, please pray. And I started praying for those three who began a conversation. And as they began a conversation, five minutes later, I looked over and all of them were holding hands. And they were bowed in prayer. And Laura turned to me and said she just asked Jesus to come into her life. And so that was the end of the trip. So you can imagine all the in-between and how much there is to share and how much the Lord... Uh, will bless you, I believe, if you come back Sunday night. So let's look at Galatians. Uh, very excited to share with you. We've been in chapters 1 and 2. Now we're in verse 11 of chapter 2. Uh, I've entitled what I want to share with you this morning, Overcoming with Gospel Truth. Because what we have seen up until this time is that the message of Christ is being attacked. I pointed out to you several times and I just want to do this again just real briefly for those, maybe this is your first time here uh, with us on Sunday or maybe because you're from out of town and you're just here for VBS, you haven't heard. But what's going on is Paul's frustrated with the church at Galatia. He's, he's begun this church, but he's not happy with them. And you look in verse 6, chapter 1, and he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly departing the one who called you by the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. So Paul's aggravated, and he's, he's not happy with the way the church at Galatia is acting. And he's, he's on a mission to de defend the truth, and they're, they're teaching a different gospel which, than, than he had taught him. Paul had started this church, had planted this church, and now they're teaching something different completely than what he had, he had uh, taught them at the very beginning. And so it comes around to where you find that the theme of Galatians is Christian liberty, that, that we have freedom in Christ, that we're not bound by the law. And that's what's happening at the church of Galatia. There's a group of people called the Judaizers who have kind of snuck in to the church and have begun to teach this false doctrine. And people in the church are believing it. Even the leaders of the church are believing it. You're going to see that in, in just a second as Paul gets really frustrated with Peter and calls him, on the carpet. So in, in these first couple of chapters up until verse 11, Paul is explaining his displeasure and he's laying out his resume. He's saying, here's why I think you ought to listen to me. Uh, it's not, a, it's not a, a braggadocious thing. It's not a, I've been to seminary and I've earned four doctorates and this and that or the other, but it's more of a uh, look at how I've walked with Christ. Look at how I have led my life. Look at how uh, my life displays what Christ taught. Uh, the same exact wording, uh, the same exact terminology, the same exact lifestyle that Christ lived is the life that I'm trying to live. Although I'm not perfect, that's the life I'm trying to live. And the teachings that he taught are the very teachings that I am trying to teach you, and yet you are deviating from those teachings. And so Paul lists out this resume, and then you come to verse 11, where I think uh, the gospel truth comes out, and, and uh, where Paul begins to uh, say 
You can overcome false teaching and you can overcome it with gospel truth. Understanding that, would you do me a favor? Would you stand up and allow me to read verses 11 through verse 16 with you? So this is chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow, follow Jewish customs? And then in verse 15 he says this, We who are Jews by birth and not, and this is in quotes, not Gentile sinners. So Paul here, just so you get this clarification, Paul is kind of talking to Peter and saying this. He's saying, we are both Jews and you are looking at the Gentiles now. You're teaching this false doctrine, kind of making them different. You're making them, quote, Gentile sinners. So he says this, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I teach this morning, may you empower me through the Holy Spirit to teach the beauty of what it means to be saved by faith alone through grace alone. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for doing that. Let me share with you three things real briefly uh, that I want you to hear this morning that I really think the Lord wants to teach us about uh, how we can overcome with gospel truth. When, when uh, Paul was confronting Peter, the first thing you need to understand is that he confronts him face to face. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious, and, and you understand this, but Paul couldn't text Peter and tell him what the struggle was. He couldn't uh, even send him a letter, really, basically. I mean, he could have done the writing, but they obviously had no mail service. And Paul obviously wrote this letter to the church at Galatia, but it was more of a historical thing, not a personal letter. People didn't do that, no phones. Uh, he didn't want to pass the message on. It would be like me telling Gary, hey, I don't like what Clint's doing. Gary, will you go confront Clint? Uh, he didn't do that. He, he said, it's my position and my imperative to confront Peter face to face. Do you know why he did that? I, I suggest to you that the reason that he did that is because he loved Peter deeply and he cared about Peter and he knew how special Peter was to the kingdom. You know, the problem a lot of times we have when, when we see false doctrine or we see people who are struggling in their faith, and by the way, this is something that I, I want you to extrapolate uh, from what I want to teach this morning, what I really feel like the Lord has empowered me to teach, is that you can extrapolate a lot of this uh, not only to people teaching false doctrine, but you can extrapolate a lot of this to people who are uh, murmuring in the church or who are struggling with maybe the kind of way we worship or maybe they don't like the set back here for VBS or maybe they don't like the way I dress or, or you know, something else. And, and you understand that that's a, a situation that is always involved in every church, that, that people within the church begin to what we would call murmur or talk a little bit and, and the problem or the issue is they're not ever talking about the gospel. So they're not ever talking about Jesus Christ. They're talking about the, the paint color 
that we chose or, or the carpet we don't like or that there's a toilet that doesn't flush or something like that. And, and that's why we're struggling with the church. And what Paul says is, let's, let's get back on the main issue. And let's get back to what's really important here. And what's really important is that we teach gospel truth. And the gospel truth is the utmost imperative of what we're called out to teach. Because what you're seeing him do with Peter is confront him face to face about something that has nothing to do with salvation. You know what's happening? The Jews who have followed the law for all along uh, and, and are versed very well in the law are, are frustrated. And they're frustrated because Gentiles are becoming believers. And Gentiles have never uh, followed the law and never seen the law to really be important. But the Gentiles are beginning to understand that if they place their faith in Christ, they can be saved. And the Jews have heard that message, and they have done that. And many of the Jews here, Peter, Paul, and other Jewish believers now, have placed their faith in Christ, and they are saved. So you have Jewish believers who are saved, and Gentile believers who are saved. But what happens is the Jewish believers are looking at the Gentile believers and going, this is not fair. Because they don't know the law and they're not following the law like we have always followed the law all our life. And so surely we can creep a little bit back toward that law and we can make that law important. And the way they do it through the Judaizers is they say something to the effect of, hey Gentiles, you're believers, but you really need to be circumcised. And you really need to eat the way we eat. And no, no telling what other stipulations that they are beginning to add to what does it take to become a believer. And what you're going to see here and what happens here, and I'll point this out again in just a minute, is that Peter gets this. Peter gets influence by those Judaizers. He's kind of scared of them. Uh, do me a favor. I, I, I want you to take your Bible and turn back to Acts chapter 11 because I, I want to show you something that has uh, ultimate understanding of what's going on here in Galatians chapter 2. Look at, look at Acts chapter 11. This is verse 1. This is Peter uh, he, he's actually been called on the carpet a little bit here too. But this is Peter, and listen to what he says in verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Hello, here we go again. He's got Jewish people who are criticizing him because he's been sharing the gospel with the Jews. And this is what the circumciser believers, circumcised believers said. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. <laughs> Isn't that great? It'd be like, it'd be like um, um, uh, when we were in Ecuador. And, and somebody saying to Laura, you went into that restaurant because... Hang with me for just a second. You went into that restaurant which has the convenience store next to it that serves alcohol. And you went in there to talk to that lady about Jesus. And what's going on there? What is that, what is that understanding? Well, it's more important that we hide ourselves from a place that serves alcohol than it is we tell somebody who Jesus is and what he can do for us. It's interesting because uh, one night we were uh, at the hotel with the hotel owner. His name is Gallo, Senor Gallo. Very kind, very gracious, very giving person. And he was giving us all gifts. And several of us noticed that he had alcohol on his breath when he was giving us the gifts. We, we all kind of made that comment. 
Now, what, what does that mean to you and me? Well, it means a lot of things scripturally. But the most important thing that means scripturally is that there's a great possibility that Senior Gallo needs to know Jesus. That's what it means. You don't have to extrapolate it any further than that. You don't have to go, well, Gallo may be a drunk, or Gallo doesn't deserve to know Jesus because he's been drinking, or anything like that. Anytime you take it to that kind of extent, you're going way out of the bounds of what Scripture calls you to do. The only thing Scripture calls you to do is, that man may need to be loved, and that man may need to know who Jesus is. So that's what's going on. So this is verse 11. Look, look at, uh, sorry, chapter 11, verse 4, uh, where Peter says this in Acts. Peter began to explain everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it. And I saw four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, go up, Peter, uh, kill and eat. And I replied, surely not, nor nothing un impure, unclean has ever entered my mouth. And then the voice spoke from heaven a second time and said, do not call anything impure that God has made. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven there again. So what Peter is doing is he's explaining his actions. And then he's explaining that the Lord guided him through this whole situation of telling Gentiles who Jesus is. But look at Acts 15. Flip over just a few verses and look at this. What I'm doing, or at least what I'm hoping to do, is help you to catch a little background of what's going on in Peter's life where he's been mixing with Gentiles and Jews and Gentiles and Jews. And he's... Uh, one of the things that I want you to catch here is he really has a heart for the Gentiles. Look at uh, chapter 15 of Acts. <clears throat> this is verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, and unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Uh-oh. What's happened? Some people are coming in, and they're adding to the gospel. This is not what the gospel teaches, but they're adding to it. And look at what it says. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and they traveled to Phoenicia and Samaria and they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything that God had done to them, through them. And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised, circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. But look at what happens in verse 6. The apostles and elders met to consider this question, and after much discussion, who stands up? Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made, ooh, read this, he made no distinct, distinction between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God? By putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Hallelujah. Amen. Peter stands up and he makes an argument and says, You cannot add anything to the gospel. You sent me down there to, to lead them to Christ. And I have brought them back to you, and now you're trying to say, hey, it's pretty good, but we need them circumcised. He says, nope, no way. He stands up and he argues and says that is not gospel truth. Gospel truth is they don't need to be circumcised, that they are saved by grace alone. Well, now go back to Galatians. This is the same Peter. He's been at this council meeting. Uh, they've argued and they have uh, proven their point. But now 
Paul is upset with Peter. And so what's happened? Well, Paul confronts him face to face and says, we're not going to let a false doctrine have its way in our church. Um, Peter had the gospel right. I just showed you that. Peter knew the right gospel. And he enjoyed the freedom that that right gospel provided. But fear began to creep into his life and he began to doubt that freedom. How many of you here this morning have had a time in your life when you knew you were saved but you doubted the freedom that comes from that salvation? And almost every one of you, if you were honest and said, I've doubted my salvation, you know the reason you've doubted your salvation? It's because there's some sin in your life. There's some sin that's crept in and you think God can't cover that. You know, I, I, I was caught in adultery. There ain't no way God can cover that. Uh, I was caught in pornography. There, there's no way that God can cover that. I was caught cheating on an exam. Or I, I was caught in this situation or that situation. And you think, there's no way that God can cover that. And what, what is, happens to us is fear begins to creep into our life. And then we begin to think, well, the only way that we can get this covered is, and, and catch me when I, when I say this, pay attention when I say this, because one of two things happens. One is we come to church all the time, and we think, man, if I come to church all the time, volunteer for everything, do everything, if I go on a million mission trips, then God will love me. Or we stop coming to church. We say, I can't go to the church. If I go to the church, people will see me. They know what I've done. They, they know how bad I've been. They won't accept me there. And so I'm just going to quit going to church. And so all the empty chairs that are around you and all the empty chairs that are in every church this morning represent people who would probably come except they think that they're not worthy anymore. And sometimes, you and I know this, sometimes we proclaim that message to them. We say, hey, you're not worthy anymore because we know you did this. And you and I both know, you and I, we all know that there's none of us that are sitting here that are worthy this morning. We're all here because we're covered by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so what, what happens is everybody gets it wrong. We, we all get it wrong. We're here to a certain extent, because we all want to try and please Jesus, and we think if we please Jesus enough, he'll love us enough. And there's not a thing in the world that you can do to make Jesus love you more than he already loves you. He loves you as much as he's ever loved you, and he's going to love you. It's from time to eternity. The minute he crucified, he was crucified, his son was crucified on the cross for you. The minute God sent his Savior for you, he was loving you. And the minute he died and rose again, he was still loving you. And for eternity, he will always love you. you. You can't walk away from his love. You can walk into the deepest, darkest prison, to the cell that's the furthest away, to the man who's in solitary confinement for the most abhorrent crime that you could ever think of. And guess what? Jesus loves him. And if he's willing to give his life to Christ and change like we all have to change from his wicked ways, then Jesus will save him just like he'll save you. That's the gospel truth. It, it doesn't change. You think, and I think, we all think, well, no, no, no. I've, been, I've tried to live the best life that I could live. And guess what? You still fail. We all fail. Just like that prisoner, we all fail and we all need the passing grade. And the only way we can get the passing grade is what Jesus did for us on the cross. There's no other way you can get that passing grade. Absolutely none. So let me move to the second point. I'm doing pretty good with time, I, I, I think. All right. So, so the second point that I want to point out to you is the first one is this remember Paul confronts Peter face to face he just goes to him and says hey Peter you, and, and this is important I want you to, to catch this Peter knew what the truth was 
And it brings me to the second point, which is Peter's been influenced by friends. Catch this. Peter's been influenced by friends and other believers. Other believers. These are Jewish people who have placed their faith in Christ, but all of a sudden they're starting to waver. They're, they're, they're starting to come over here, and they're starting to get frustrated, just like you and I get frustrated that that prisoner in the deepest, darkest cavern can be saved just like I can be saved. So we want to add some stipulations. We want to say, hey, that guy in the prison, that guy in the deepest, darkest prison, surely he has to do a little bit more than I do because I've never done anything close to what he's done. And Paul says, can't do that. You've been influenced. You've been influenced by even other believers. I mean, think about the times that we sit around and talk amongst ourselves and say, oh, Bill, Bill's really been struggling. Bill's not, I hope your name's not Bill, by the way, but, uh, you know, Bill's really been struggling and Bill, you know, left his wife and Bill's done this. Listen, I, Sometimes it's hard to get personal, but sometimes you understand the need to get personal. But I have a, a very good friend whose uh, marriage has ended. And I could not be more brokenhearted that that's what's happened in his life. But I want you to hear me when I say this, not as a saint, but as a sinner, that that friend who was my very good friend is still my very good friend. Because he needs love. And he needs grace. And he needs forgiveness. And that friend's a believer. Just like you look at here, just like where you see where Peter is a believer, Paul... Paul is not talking to Peter as a, hey, Peter, you've lost the faith. Hey, Peter, you've gone astray. Hey, Peter, Jesus doesn't love you anymore. He's talking to, to Peter and he's saying, Peter, you know better than this. And, and you're letting your friends influence you in a doctrine that's false. Look at, look at um, I, I love this. Look at... Um, Look at what it says in verse 12. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Remember, we just talked about that. Peter in Acts 15 says that he is eating with the Gentiles. You and I would equate that with this. Uh, we, we, we don't do it so much today, but we still do. It's amazing how food for thousands of years has been a common denominator. But it, it's like you and I saying... We go on family vacations together, or we do things together. Uh, uh, and it's not just, hey, I kind of know you. When you sit down and eat with somebody, you're saying, this is my friend. And so Peter, that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying to Peter, hey, you ate with the Gentiles. And, and look at what he says here. But when they arrived, and, and okay, understand this. I'm in verse 12. Before certain men came from James... He used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, who's the they? It's the Judaizers. It's the Jews who have come who are introducing this false doctrine. And look at what he says here. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. You know how you and I relate to this? You remember when you were young and you were doing something, and it wasn't right, and your mom walked in, in on you, and you pretended like you were doing something else, you know? I mean, it's, it's the proverbial, my hand is in the cookie jar. You know, you, you've got the hand in the cookie jar, and your mom walks in, and you just do that. You know, I, I wasn't doing anything. I was just putting the lid back on it, you know, kind of a deal. That's what's happening here. Paul is calling out Peter, and he's saying, man, I caught you with your hand in the cookie jar because I walked in and your friends had walked in and, and you, you were sitting there eating with the Gentiles and your friends walked in and you went, Ooh, I got back over here with my friends over here. 
And Paul goes, that is not right. Let me, sh let me share with you about this problem of influence from other believers who influence us. A, a couple of things that I, I want to share with you real quickly. It's really important for you to hear this. Paul, point, <clears throat> Paul points to the issue of separation. It's, it's an issue here. He says, and I say to you, how do, how do people begin to walk away from the gospel truth? Think about how our friends walk away from the gospel truth. You know what they do? They begin to separate themselves. They begin to say, oh, it's not really important that I'm in church on Sunday mornings. Uh, I've got this other stuff going on. And it can be anything. I mean, you guys, I don't have to give you a, a million you know, ideas. But you, you know that people say, well, I just need to you know, back off. I had somebody tell me, this is gospel truth. Uh, and uh, I, I, just trust me when I tell you that I had a family walk up to me and say this. We're, we're going to spend more time as a family together and we're going to back away from the church for a while because we just need to spend more time as a family together. That breaks my heart. That's what I told this mom. I said, that breaks my heart that you would choose to do that. Uh, I, I just don't think that's healthy for your family. We were just going to do it for a time, and then we'll be back. I said, I, I pray that that's true. Do you know that that mom told me that 12 years ago and has not been back at church since? That, because that's what... That's what happens when you're influenced by other things in the world, even other believers in the world that tell you things that aren't true. They'll tell you things like um, Holly Springs or any church is just after your money. Or Holly Springs or any other church, uh, you know, is not doing things correctly. Well, that's, there's an ounce of truth in all those things. I would love to have all your money, but you're not going to give it to me. I get that. And, you know, I would love uh, for our church to be perfect, but it's not, and you understand that. And you can go visit 50 other churches uh, anywhere in the world or 5 million other churches any other where in the world, and they're not perfect. There is no uh, perfect church, you know, anywhere. I love David Platt. His church is not perfect. You can go visit there tomorrow. He, he'll deliver a wonderful sermon, but his church has all kinds of problems, just like our church does. That's what, that's what happens when you're influenced by friends. That's what happens when the church begins to murmur. Uh, the gospel word murmur, which basically means you're talking about everything except Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to talk about is what Jesus does. But listen, Paul points to the issue of leading others as we separate. Here's the big problem. And that's what Paul's trying to point out to us in, in verse 13. The, Jew, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray. Do you catch what that's saying there? <laughs> What's, what that's saying there is somebody gets disgruntled or somebody gets frustrated or somebody adds something to the gospel and they're talking to somebody else about it and all of a sudden that person is going... Okay, I'm going to go with them. I, I'm going to believe them. I'm, I'm going to listen to what they say. And before long, there's a crowd. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, the problem is not only, Peter, are you wrong? Now you're leading other people to be wrong. And you've got to stop. You've just got to stop what you're doing. I love the word hypocrite. You know, I oh, you should... I... I if that word has been used once with me, it's probably been used a million times with me. Because every time I go somewhere or do something uh, and I talk to people about church, they always want to talk about hypocrites. And I go, absolutely, we're the biggest bunch, a band of hypocrites that you've ever met in your life. Come be a part of it, you know. <laughs> that's, that's what you ought to say. You don't ever try to fight that word. You just, all you have to do is bow down and agree with them. Because we are, we're all hypocrites. We all make mistakes. We all struggle. 
You can disarm somebody pretty quick when they start talking about hypocrites, and all you have to do is say, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, that's us. We're a bunch of sinners, and we're just trying to figure out how much Jesus loves us every Sunday, even in the midst of all our sin. Boy, when you do something like that, people just kind of, they don't have a comeback for that. They, they really don't. The, the word hypocrite is, is the, the Greek word is, is this understanding of a stage actor. It's somebody who, who involves themselves in drama. And you want to get away from drama. You don't need drama in your life. You know, when somebody tells you that, um, you know, that something's going on with me or Laura, you know, or, or somebody else in the church, and, and they're just trying to work that drama into the life, you just need to say, I don't, I got enough drama on my own. I don't need anybody else's drama. I'm walking away from the drama. That's what, that's what Paul is telling Peter to do here. He's saying you're a hypocrite. Wow. Paul is calling somebody in the church a hypocrite. And he's saying, walk away from it, Peter. Get away from that stuff. You don't need all the drama. What the Judaizers were doing was bringing drama into the church. And Paul says to Peter, walk away from it. Just let it go. You don't need that. Get back to what the gospel truth is. Oh, man, that's so amazing. Do you know what? The, there's kind of two understandings of hypocrite. One is that stage actor. The other is somebody that they call a dissembler. You know what dissembler means? It means you start dissembling things. You make it where things start to fall apart. We don't need that. We don't need that. And the, I and you both know that we can look around at all the people here and know that they're all sinners know that they all struggle, but we know that they have good hearts and that they're trying to do good things. Even when they struggle, we know that. And so we can look at everybody and we can look at the gospel truth, which is what Jesus did for them on the cross. That's, that's the last thing I want to... This is where we're going to close. Look at verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of gospel, I said to Peter in front of them, you're a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So he was calling Peter on the carpet, and he was saying, Look, you, you're Jew, but you're living like a Gentile. You love those Gentiles, but now you're trying to say to those Gentiles, Hey, you need to live like a Jew, and that's not true at all. They just need to live for Christ. That's all they need to do. And look at verse 15, because this is propelling us. Verse 15 and 16 will get us ready for next week. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul introduces this word justified. It's used several times throughout the scripture. And it's the most incredible, one of the most incredible words in scripture, justified. You are justified by, we're not justified by observing the law, but we're justified by, further down where it says we are justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified boy this is the one and we're going to spend all next Sunday talking about being justified but let me give you just this one caveat this is the, the, the changing dynamic of the gospel that you and I are justified by faith we're justified by faith alone, through Christ alone, and that's it. You cannot add anything to it. You ever had a recipe before? You know, where you had that recipe and it's, it's um, uh, you left something out? I mean, Laura's done that before, you know, where she's made a pie and she left, like, the sugar out. And, you know, you go to eat it, you know, and you go, Ugh! you know, that's not... And it's because she left something out, you know? You would do that same thing too. It doesn't taste right if you leave it out. That's what justification is. It's, it's by faith alone through grace alone. And that's it. You can't add anything to it. You don't want people adding hot sauce to a lemon pie. It, it, it makes it where it's not right anymore. Even if you like hot food, you don't like lemon pie with hot sauce. You'd just be crazy. It's, a, it's the same thing here. 
Listen, justification, and we'll get into this next week, but justification is that understanding that, that we get something that we don't deserve. Right? We don't deserve to be saved. None of us do. We're just justified because of His act on Calvary. We're justified by His grace, by His mercy. And all we do is place our faith in Him. And when we do that, we become believers. That's what the restaurant owner's wife did uh, last few, just a few days ago in Ecuador. She, she didn't do anything. She didn't, you know, she didn't do anything special, didn't dress correctly, didn't do anything except say, I'm a sinner and I need that Savior. And her whole life changed instantly. Listen, when, when we were, I, I told you that uh, there was a volcano <clears throat> that exploded or erupted. And uh, that's what kept us 24 hours longer in Ecuador. <clears throat> when when uh, David Reed from First Baptist and I, they asked us to come to the, they had, we had spent several hours, we were exhausted at the airport. It was 3.30 in the morning. And we were standing, we had gone back out of where you wait to get on the plane. And they had checked us out. And we were back now in the ticketing area again, back in Ecuador. Uh, no chairs, nowhere to sit, nowhere to spend time. Um, it looked like it was going to be a miserable. At that time, we thought maybe six to eight to ten hours. We thought we were going to leave at noon the next day. Turns out we didn't leave till midnight the next day. We had no idea we were going to be in Ecuador for another 24 hours. But we, we looked to be stuck in the airport. And we were at the ticket counter. It was United. And this lady was trying to help us and she said well tomorrow and at that time they believed we were going to leave at, at 12:45 or 1:45 in the afternoon and she said tomorrow your plane will leave at 1:45 in the afternoon and she said how many people are in your group and i said 40 and she said oh yeah she said i we only have rooms for 20 people and i said well i don't think that's going to work cuz i don't know how i'm going to pick 20 people to stay here at the airport and 20 people to go to a hotel. And she said, oh, I, I really don't want you to have to stay here at the airport. And I said, oh, I don't know what to do. And she made this comment to me, and I want you to hear what she said to me. She said, we don't have to put you in a hotel. And I don't know if you know much about flying, uh, but the way flying works is if it's a mechanical issue or some issue because of the airline's fault, then they are required by law to take care of you. It's happened to me before uh, several times where the airline had an issue, they were required by law to take care of us, and they put you in a, in a place for the night or whatever. But if it's weather-related or an act of God, like a volcano would be, then they are not responsible for you, have no responsibility for you at all. And I knew that, and this lady kept saying, we are not responsible for you, but we want to help you. She, if she said that to me one time, she said it to me, I bet you, ten times. Uh, and what she was trying to do, you know what she was trying to do, she was trying to be united and say, you know, we're not responsible, but we really want to help and after we talked for about five or ten minutes she came to me after she'd made a couple of phone calls and she said uh, Mr. Smith we found rooms for all 40 people and she said we're bringing the shuttles up now and we're going to take you to your hotel and as we drove to the hotel I, I, I kind of alluded to this already but we were 20 minutes away from the airport uh, we were in this little village I you can ask anybody that was on the trip that was awake at 3.30 in the morning while we were on the shuttle, but all of them had the same fear that I did. It's like, oh my gosh, we're being taken to be slaughtered probably somewhere, you know. <laughs> it, uh, we don't know who's driving us. They don't speak English. 
They're just leading all these poor white people out, and sooner or later they're going to cut all our throats, and this is going to be the end of our life. I'm, I'm telling you, if you'd have seen the turns and the curves and the places we went, I was going, you know, and I'm the one who said, let's go there, you know. So, I mean, all this pressure's on me, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm, I've lost everything, you know. All my friends are going to be dead, and they're going to be making fun of me at Holly Springs for leading them down these paths, you know, all this stuff. So my mind at 3.30 in the morning is going racing crazy, going crazy. And we kept making turns and corners, and I kept thinking, where are we going? And all of a sudden, you can ask anybody that was there, we pulled up, and there was two men that came out and met our, our bands, and they opened up the door, and they said, Welcome to Rincon de Puimbo, which means corner of the city of Puimbo. And we got out and walked in. They said, follow me. And we walked. And I'm not kidding you. Ask anybody who was on the trip. It was like walking it into a five-star paradise resort. And every step we took, I just kept thinking, oh, my God. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the one who knows what your children need. And you don't spare when you give to them. You give to them lavishly when you give to them. They United Airlines gave us $18 per meal vouchers. We got to spend like 56 whatever that is, whatever that math is, $54 on breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We had a pool. We had incredible showers. You just can't imagine. So with that understanding, go back to what that lady at the ticket counter said to me. We don't have to help you, but we want to. Listen, it, it's not totally gospelly correct, but you understand when I tell you that our God sometimes in, in his way, when you look through scripture, says to us, I don't have to help you, but I want to. And when I help you by sending my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, it's going to be the most lavish gift you've ever been given in your life. And when you look at it through clear eyes and don't add anything to it, you're going to recognize that the best gift you were ever given was Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for you. Let's pray. Father, I can't thank you enough for your son, Jesus Christ, and what he means to us. Father, thank you for taking the scripture in Galatians chapter 2 and helping us to understand the importance of being gospelly true. Father, we can't add anything to the scripture. There's nothing that we can add for our salvation. There's not a thing that we can do that would make you love us more. And now, Father, as we enter this time of just reflection and invitation, Father, may your children, including myself, open our hearts to what you would want the Holy Spirit to teach us. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few moments, Jason's going to lead us as we worship. This is your chance to respond.